Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Okay, so we're in that section of Matthew's Gospel where Jesus is laying the smackdown on uh, the scribes and Pharisees. But this is a very important thing. We have to first ask the question, who is he talking to? It's clear who he's talking about, but who is he talking to? So you have to kind of back up earlier in, in chapter 23 of Matthew's Gospel to get an answer to that question. Because we just jump in, in the middle of the section here in in the gospel that we have, it says at the beginning that Jesus was speaking to the crowds and to his disciples. And I would suggest that that's pretty important. These two groups, the crowds and the disciples, these two groups, the mingling group of people who are just kind of on the periphery listening, and then you also have the I guess, more intentional group who have left things and who are intentionally following him to uh, be formed by him and taught by him, right? Crowds, disciples. In other words, he's not talking to the scribes and Pharisees. He's talking about them, and I think that's significant because this is not confrontational. Like, he's not confronting them. He's giving instruction, right? He's giving corrective. Um, I think that makes a big difference. Like, he's not face-to-face with them, right? So what we miss, though, I think, as modern-day Christians in the 21st century here is we don't hear the Scriptures through the lens of first-century Judaism. What we miss is the fact that the scribes and Pharisees, for a first-century Jew, were not like, they weren't the bad guys, right? We hear scribes and Pharisees, and like, somewhere in the back of our mind, we automatically think, oh, those those are the bad guys, right? Jesus is always getting in fights with the scribes and Pharisees. But a first century Jew would not have thought that. A first century Jew would have heard scribes and Pharisees and thought, oh, those, those are the guys who are really striving to live the law. That was their role. They were sort of religious heroes in a sense, that they were striving to keep the precepts of the law as best they could in practical ways. I mean, there are 613 Levitical laws. How do you actually apply those into practical circumstances of life? It can get hard and confusing. So they were the ones who were kind of doling out practical wisdom and trying to embody the law. However, as time went on, what developed was a, a, the accent mark, let's say, the accent mark was shifted onto the external ritualism, onto an external ritualism, the external performance of the law. That has always been a temptation and will always be a temptation for the human person. And the reason for that is that the way that God has made us, right? In our human nature, we both have, we're both body and soul, matter and spirit. We have this externality, things that we do, but we also have an interiority. We have an inner world, an inner life, our heart, right? There's things that we do, and then there's also an inner hidden dimension. And what happens is the pendulum can swing between these two extremes. Like we can possibly see that. I'm sure we can maybe see that in the last 100 years in our own church, right? The pendulum swinging between one side, you have an overemphasis on the externals, right? Ritual precision. How are we praying? What language are we praying? And all of that stuff to the neglect of the internal. 
Okay, then the pendulum swings again to the other side. Oh, the externals, they don't matter. It doesn't matter how you pray, what you do, all that sort of ritualism, all that piety, doesn't matter. All that matters is the internal stuff, the interiority, the disposition of the heart. It's like, no, that's not right either. Again, because we are both matter and spirit, body and soul, internal and external, both of these have to come together. So what Jesus is doing, what he's teaching his disciples, what he's teaching us, but the danger of falling into empty ritualism. Like we don't want empty ritualism. We want full and robust and like deeply personal, deeply meaningful ritualism, if you will. Like he's saying you have a heart. He's saying my love, the power of the gospel, grace, mercy, it has to enter into your personal reality, into your inner reality, into your heart. It's not enough, we might say, to say all the right prayers, to sit in the right pew, to make all the right gestures if our hearts are not open, to let him reach us where we are right there, to let him reach us and purify us and transform us from the inside out. That's what he's getting at. We have to let him in, right? It's, it's, right, it's in this sense that those liturgical forms of the Second Vatican Council were spot on. Like robotically going through motions with a detached or disengaged heart is not what the Lord wants. He wants hearts that are open, hearts that are open. If our external piety, the way that we worship, can become the means and the vehicle by which our inner dimension can be engaged by his love, that's the goal. That's the goal. That's why we pray the way we pray, so that our hearts can be disposed to be touched by him. We don't pray the way we pray so that we can pat ourselves on the back and say, I prayed great today. That's not it. We pray the way we pray to dispose our hearts to be touched, to be engaged. That the personal love of Jesus might reach us personally. That's the idea. Amen.